welcome to the La 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 Let Me Explain podcast. And I am delighted to be joined today by Kate Sanger from Joe's Cervical Cancer Trust. Is it trust? That's right, it is. Um, And we're going to do a whole big podcast, mainly about HPV, really. We're going to touch on lots of things around cervical cancer and Mm -hmm. gynae cancers. But I think when I asked followers for questions, HPV was just huge mm. um so so we're going to talk a lot about that so what what do you do at joe's so joe's cervical cancer trust is the uk cervical cancer charity um and as part of that we support women who are affected by cervical cancer who are going through treatment um, and living beyond diagnosis but also a lot of our work is around prevention so around cervical screening around the hpv vaccination so the two programs that we have to prevent cervical cancer um, and again we support women going through those um through those tests through follow-up procedures any treatment um, and i'm head of communications and policy so i head up the team who looks at how we talk how we communicate all these different things to to women and people with the cervix and people who want to access our services or who might need different information about sort of the what it means to go for cervical screening or like you say HPV and also looking at what we can do on a policy side as well to make everyone who goes through these everyone with the cervix basically have access to the best possible prevention treatment support that they can. How did Joe's Trust start? So we were founded it was our 20th anniversary the other year um, and we were founded by the family of a name called a lady called Joe. Um, and Joe was diagnosed with cervical cancer. And when she was diagnosed, she felt very alone and very much like there wasn't really anywhere to get the info or the support that she needed. So she sadly died. And after she died, her husband and some of their family and friends set up Joe's. Um, and so we've been going for about 20 years now um, and kept her name because it's really important to us to know that sort of where we came from. And it was all about an individual who just felt really isolated and really alone when they were going through their their cancer. And so it just sort of grew from there, really, did it? So they started yeah. it as a kind of in honour of Joe, and then it, it just snowballed, I guess. In- yeah, exactly. It started as very much the family charity, um, and now it is a national a national charity. Um, we work across the UK. Uh, we've got programmes that run in the west of Scotland at the moment. We've got we do training. We train GPs and we train uh, receptionists and sample takers in in London at the moment sort of so they understand what it's like to be going for screening and how they can provide the best possible experience for women we also do we've got our our national helpline our national services which are for anyone across the UK so we're very much a UK charity and how do you get your funding it's a wide range of things Um, we don't get government funding it's all through individual fundraisers and donors companies we work with different grants that grants that we're able to get as well so it's it's all donation and, and fundraise based. So if you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help, then you can donate and be part of this and, and be part of making sure that this service continues to be provided for people with cervixes. Absolutely. And how can people do that? If you would like to donate, we would absolutely love you to donate, of course, because all, especially all of our support services, um, it's through, through donations that we can continue to be there, be there on our helpline to answer your questions via email, um, to provide to some of the one-to-one services that we provide. So do visit our website where you'll find so much stuff. All of the things we'll talk about today is there as well. But yes, you can find ways to get involved, to donate and to fundraise. And literally the smallest amount that you give, uh, it will go towards helping to make a difference and 
improving someone's experience brilliant so as always i put out a poll a post on instagram uh, asking people to submit questions for this podcast and there were loads and as i said <laughs> at the beginning so many were like hpv mm. focused and i think the reason for that is that there's been a change hasn't there in in cervical screening yeah. where they didn't look for HPV before, and now yeah. they do. I'm not sure when when that started. Yeah, so also, just to say that HPV is what we hear, but this completely mirrors what we hear in our services as well. HPV is one of the biggest things that people come to us with, fear, confusion, worry, uncertainty about it. So it can, the fact that this is what has come through from your followers completely makes sense. Yeah. And yeah, so the way that your sample is tested when you go for cervical screening in England wales and scotland it used to be that they would first look to see if there were cells any cell changes which were in in the sample but now they're looking to see if hpv is present and if that virus is present then they will look to see if there are cells this probably all sounds very complicated but essentially by looking for hpv first which is the cause of pretty much every case of cervical cancer and hpv stands for human papilloma virus that's right yeah um yeah and if by testing for this virus we can identify much earlier and more accurately those who might need further monitoring or treatment to stop the development of cervical cancer. Because if you don't have HPV there, then your risk of developing cervical cancer and cell changes is extremely, extremely low. So by testing for HPV, it's just a far, far better cervical screening test and prevention sort of test that you're getting. Because it seems like over the last couple of years, all of a sudden everybody is getting diagnosed mm. with HPV yeah. at cervical screening. Not everybody, obviously, but a lot. Yeah. Um, and and I think it's 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 women who've been going for smears for years. Yeah. And then or, your cervical screening for years, or women when sorry, when I say women, I'm people with cervixes. Yeah. And then all of a sudden now it's like, oh, you've got HPV, mm. but actually that's it doesn't necessarily mean you didn't have HPV before. It just means exactly. they weren't screening for it previously. And I think the, the, so I think when you're told you have cell changes, there's it for for some people it might be slightly easier to understand because it the words themselves are quite cells have changed or abnormal cells. Whereas HPV, human papillomavirus, it's just a lot of words or initials and um, letters. And we know from a lot of people that the first time they ever hear about it is on that results letter. So it causes a huge level of fear and worry when they see that. But Yeah, yeah. I do you know it's so so. Let, I I, I kind of almost feel like we need to go really basic mm -hmm. because there will be people listening who may have never had a cervical screening. They may be below the age. So let's start off by so cervical screening is literally mm -hmm. where you go to your GP or your healthcare provider. Mm -hmm. your, usually, it's the nurse that does it rather than the GP, and they take like a swab yeah. and they go all the way to the cervix and they scrape a bit off yeah well not, not, yeah. don't scrape <laughs> off a bit of your cervix but they you know take a swab and then they examine that swab mm -hmm. and previously as you say it used to be just looking for cell changes yeah. but now it's sort of almost pre that because yeah, if we can absolutely. find the hpv before the cell changes then we're, we're in an even better place i guess exactly that's absolutely right um and, and so it, is, why do people avoid using the word smear now? So it kind of, it depends to be honest. Um, this, the actual service, so each country in the UK has their own cervical screening program sort of structure and people involved in it. So um, the cervical screening programs, they've started to talk about cervical screening much more than smear tests. 
this is because, which is technically true. So the word smear actually comes from a really old way of looking at samples where your, the sample collected at screening was literally smeared across a slide to then be looked at under a microscope. Now this is predates some of the, the previous methods of testing. So it's actually very, very old. So cervical screening is a much more accurate way of talking about what's happened because we're screening your cervix to see if there's anything there. However, there's we also know that when you talk to your friends, most people, especially younger people, talk about smear tests. So at Joe's, we genuinely will talk about both. If someone talks to us about smear tests, we'll respond about their smear test. But in all of our information, we will use cervical screening slash smear test because it almost doesn't matter what you call it as long as you know what it is, yeah. what it is when the invite comes through. So some people don't like the words smear test as well. It makes them feel all... Ugh. There is something it's, about it. It's there's smear. something about it. It's really not it's a, a nice gross, word. It? And yeah. the test itself isn't nice, is it? No. So it just adds that thing. But essentially, we just want people to understand what it's all about, what they're going for, what's going to happen there. Um, and and you don't have to go for a smear. Mm -hmm. There is no mandatory, you know, but no. you kind of should. So cervical screening is a choice, as with any procedure or test you get, it's a complete choice. It is your best prevention against getting cervical cancer. So it is really important. And by not going, your risk of cervical cancer is, is increased. But we know it's a really, really difficult test. And some people might feel they physically can't go for some reasons. And whatever your experience or your feelings around screening, we would encourage you to access support, access information to sort of talk about some of the tips and ways you might be able to make it a bit easier for you because, yeah, it's not easy, but it's important. And I think whilst understanding, really deeply understanding why there are reasons that people absolutely just think, mm -hmm. I can't face this, mm -hmm. I, I can't do this, um, because of it, it previous trauma, mm -hmm. or because of pain, because it's invasive, because it's embarrassing, because it may feel upsetting. I, I feel like the reality is that the alternative mm -hmm. is so much worse. Like, it, you know, a, a smear test doesn't last very long. It, it, it is, it can be all of those things for, for, yeah. for somebody, but if you don't have your cervical screening and then you are unfortunately one of the people who do end up with mm -hmm. cervical cancer five, 10 years down the line or whatever, it's going to be 10 times more invasive. The, the, the procedures that you're going to have to go through are going to be so much more intense than, than, you know, that five minute smear. Yeah. And that, that is completely true. But I think as well that if you are, say you have experienced previous trauma or sexual violence or anything like that, um, and that's just one of a million different reasons why it can be difficult, there is support and information out there. There are specific services, for example, for survivors of sexual violence to help them with some of the psychological as well as, as the physical aspects of the test. And again, it's still a choice. You can at any point say, this is not for me. We know from a lot of people as well that having a really good sample taker or nurse can make such a big difference. Because again, if you have a lot of any of these re the psychological barriers or fears or physical problems that make you not want to go, if you've got that amazing nurse, which we know there are some incredible nurses out there who really understand and support and guide you through that test, talk to you about your options, that can make such a difference. Whereas if you have a bad experience, mm. that can just put you off for life. Absolutely. And we hear that all the time as someone who had a bad experience when they were younger, the nurse was a bit 
brisk or abrupt or and that can really put you off so yeah it's really important that the people delivering screening are aware of all these challenges as well so they can can provide that absolutely i had a really bad experience um this year actually because of so i can't when was my thing due i think it was due I think my smell was due like bang in the middle of like proper lockdown. Mm. <laughs> um, and then I managed, so, so it was delayed anyway. And then I managed to go for a smear when it all opened up again. And the nurse couldn't find my cervix. Mm. She just couldn't find it. And it was awkward. It was yeah. embarrassing. She called someone else in, a more experienced doctor. And she couldn't find my cervix mm-hmm. either. Um, and... And it took so long that that they couldn't carry on. They were like, they've got more appointments and whatever. So they sent me away, booked me in for a month later, came back, had the same nurse, had the exact same Mm -hmm. experience, couldn't find my cervix. Um, And actually, I was beginning to get really panicky. Like, has my cervix gone? Like, what's the fuck's going on here wrong with me yeah and i and i really started to feel like this is this is actual hell like Mm. i you know again another 20 minutes of her just like i can't find it poking in and out and me just laying there like red faced, like oh Mm. my god i can't bear it um and and then she was like we're gonna have to refer you for a colposcopy i think it is um because we can't we just can't do this you're gonna have to go to a specialist a gynae Mm. referral and i've never had problems ever you Mm. know um, and then a, a month went by or something and then I was calling Guiney and they were like, oh, we haven't reopened yet and, and all of this kind of stuff. And I was like, I'm now, because of lockdown and because of all these problems, mm-hmm. you know, a year and six months or not a year and six, six months or, you know, three Overdue. years ago that I've had it yeah. and then however long now it's taking. And I was just determined and, and perhaps if I didn't run this page and hadn't done, yeah. I've done a previous podcast with Eva Peel, mm-hmm. who are another great charity, um, you know, I may not have been so determined. I may mm-hmm. have just gone, fuck this. This is just horrible. Yeah. Um, and in the end, I called the most senior GP at my practice or asked for an appointment with her. And she said, can you please try? Mm. She did it with ease. There was no problem. And then I got my results back and it was HPV positive. So right. I was so relieved actually like when I received yeah. that letter saying HPV I wasn't like fuck I was like oh my god I'm so glad that they I pushed this that and that it, I pursued so this right. yeah it would have been so easy for me to just go no 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 this is just ridiculous um but I pursued it and I've got HPV mm-hmm. and and actually I have to say I'm not worried about that yeah. I have to go back in October uh for a year's yeah um because that's what happens to so if, 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 if you're still there if your cervical screening is clear then you just go back in three years time mm-hmm. if you are found to have hpv then you go back in a year's time it depends well it depends on how old you are oh, and right. where you live this is why cervical screening is very complicated right it's every three years up until the age of 50 and then it's every five from 50 right and in scotland it's currently every five years and around the world person. it's different because i think exactly germany and places like that it's every year yeah, some places do different different um, different invites, and I think that can be quite worrying as well, especially if you've come from a country which and you've moved to the UK and you used to have regular like annual tests. But I think the most important thing to say is the process in the UK is done that way because that is what the evidence and the science say is the best way of reducing your risk, but also making sure that you aren't given any unnecessary treatment because treat. I'm sure we come on to treatment, but treatment for cervical cell changes often means taking away bits of the cervix, burning away cells, which is both psychologically not very 
enjoyable or it can be quite difficult mm. but also the physical side of it as well of you only want to have treatment if you need to have it mm. so that is why those years are set as they are um but that's not to say that it doesn't it can't be worrying especially when you have something or you have in the past had something you in your psychologically you can it's you might want to be tested more often but that's not necessarily what is right what I find really difficult to understand is that I mean I'm nearly 40 so mm. when I um I first had my smear at like 17 yeah. because it was supposed to be three years after you'd become sexually active and I lost my virginity very very young or not virginity, but that's a whole different <laughs> conversation. I don't believe in the language around virginity, but anyway. Um, and now it's oh, you. You get your first invite when you turn twenty-five. 25 yeah. Now there are twenty-five-year-old women who could have been sexually active for ten years, like yeah. me, and been exposed to HPV for mm-hmm. ten years. Yeah. Um, and and so I find it really hard to understand why those women can't go, I've been sexually active for three years, mm-hmm. can I book my smear earlier? So there's a few reasons for that. Partly we have the vaccination, which I, I know that only helps those who have been vaccinated, but we now have the vaccination is offered to girls in school between about 11 and 13. Um, and we've seen that the, the cohorts and the age group that's coming through into cervical screening their HPV infections and the number who have cervical cell changes is much, much reduced, like huge reductions, which shows that vaccine is really working. There's also evidence that shows that having the age at 25 and having it younger, it doesn't actually make a difference in terms of your, um, in terms of whether you're going to go on to develop, it's, it doesn't, having the age at 25 or lower doesn't actually have any reduction in the numbers coming through with, right. um, with cervical cancer and the third thing is because when you're younger you're more likely to have a hpv infection and you're more likely to have cell changes but your body your immune system at the time is more likely to fight them off right so you're more likely to have it you're more likely to fight it off and so if you were screened earlier the chance of something being picked up is quite likely however your body you probably won't need treatment because the body will clear it. Mm. So this is the how it works with HPV and cell changes anyway. So in terms of HPV, you mentioned before that it's really, really common. And mm. that's true. About 80% of us will have it in our lives or have an infection. And in about nine in 10 people, the immune system clears it without... So it's it's literally like a virus. It, well, it is a virus. It's like, like you think about the cold or flu and the immune system clears it. Even if it turns... Even if the virus causes your cells to change in your cervix in a lot of cases they can go back to normal by themselves and the body will clear that clear the infection and clear the cells and again this is why sometimes if you get your results saying something's been found you're just monitored and you're not treated you're you're told you have cell changes mm. come back like with you with the hpv come back and we'll see if it's gone and so there is that testing at, H- at 25 is the optimum age to reduce that need for because again, if you're younger, they find you've got cell changes, you offer treatment. Again, it's starting to take away bits of your cervix yeah. and all of those. But it is it is really, really difficult. And especially if you have been affected, it's very difficult to see the science. Yeah, because there are I mean, individual exactly. experience. And there are 21 year olds who have developed exactly. full on cervical cancer. Exactly, there are. And who are fighting for the screening to be made earlier i mean what your explanation makes total sense but Mm -hmm. but as you say if you're personally affected by it you lost somebody who 
died at 19 or whatever then then... the science is almost irrelevant because you have that individual circumstance which I have complete empathy and sympathy for because and Mm. I'd probably be the same in that circumstance but equally the science yeah there is a reason why those things are there and but I think that's as well why it is important to be aware of things like symptoms of cervical cancer as well and make sure if you especially if you are under 25 and you see your GP if you've got symptoms such as abnormal vaginal bleeding as the most common symptom but also the really positive thing with the vaccination is that we know that's going to be what the one of the ways that we can really reduce the impact of cervical cancer and at the moment cervical cancer is it's one of the most common cancers in under 35s but we know in a few years time that's going to completely because shift of the vaccine. because the vaccine so that's a really positive thing that we're going to see i wonder if all this because covid has driven mm the anti-vax feeling yeah. much more to the forefront. I mean, there was quite a lot of anti-vax feeling after that charlatan doctor linked it to autism. Mm-hmm. And then that was all found that he was actually doing that for profit and, yep. and all sorts of stuff. And, and then that kind of died down a bit. And now it feels like there's a real much more of an anti-vax movement happening at the mm-hmm. moment. And I'm not going to say whether I believe people absolutely should get vaccines or absolutely shouldn't it is a personal choice and I uh, you know I recognize that a lot of that is steeped in cultural things and experiences with racism and Mm -hmm. you know testing on black women um you know in the most horrendous ways without them knowing um but I also feel like with the cervical cancer with the HPV vaccine for our daughters it's one that is so sort of like, you know, the COVID vaccine and all of those kind of things, of course, they're important. But but this is a way of of, of actually imagine not giving your daughter the HPV vaccine mm-hmm. and her dying of cervical cancer at age 25. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's that there's so much evidence to say that it works. And, yeah. and I ha- I, I'm not aware of any evidence that says that it causes anything. No, and like you said, with anti-vax sentiment, there are stories of people who... With any vaccine, if you give a whole population a vaccination, some people will have a reaction. Mm-hmm. But whether that's to do with the vaccination, whether that's something they might have developed anyway outside, whether regardless if they had or hadn't had the vaccination. But the HPV vaccination, I think we're much, like you said, we're much more aware of vaccines and side effects. I know lots of people who've had, I've had the COVID vaccine and I felt not very well for about a day. It's not uncommon to have a side effect, a sore arm, itch, redness, itchiness, those kind of things. But they are very short-term things that go away. Mm. The The risk of any big adverse... Basically, if the vaccine wasn't safe, they would not give it yeah. to young to young girls. And it's given to boys now as well. That's what I was going to say. Is, uh, so yeah. is that routinely offered to boys now? It is. Yeah. They're both off. So it's, it's kind of a gender-neutral vaccine now. And yeah. it's offered in schools to both boys and girls because it's... It, the vaccine HPV is the cause of pretty much every cervical cancer but HPV is also linked to other cancers it's all the really nasty ones like penile vulval anal head neck oral all those kind of cancers can be linked to HPV as well mm. not so many about 40% of some of those cancers are like I can't remember the stats off the top of my head but it's like 40% 50% 60% of these cancers are linked to HPV mm-hmm. so by giving boys it as well you're helping them to reduce their risk of some of these cancers. And I think herd immunity is something that we've all heard about for good Mm -hmm. or bad over the last year. But there is a, if you're giving it to a whole population, then you are going to help to get that immunity against HPV, which is 
really fantastic. It's amazing. Mm. As well as anti-vaxxers, I have come across, which was blown my mind actually, anti-smear campaigners. Mm. Uh, and I discovered this because I did a story thread um, and I it was like an HPV cervical cancer question, you know, like encouraging mm -hmm. people to... to to remember I think it actually was off the back of when I didn't get my you know it was it was off the back of that and I was like really just like remember to do mm -hmm. it you know yeah it's just a reminder which I think is the right thing to do I'm going to tell people to check their breasts I'm going to mm -hmm. tell you know my page is a real women community or you know people uh with cervixes yeah. community um and and I think it's important and I received a really long email in response to that story thread because somebody had asked the question on the story like you know what if you have previous trauma and in, in that response I listed um a number of organizations or an organization actually yeah. who support people mm -hmm. uh, I can't remember what they're called you may know them um my body back in my body back yeah. they're really good mm -hmm. and they support people who've been through trauma um and i i spoke about the fact that you're allowed to bring someone with you you're allowed to ask for a female yeah. doctor uh, or nurse um you're allowed to ask for different size speculums mm -hmm. you know i gave i gave all of this advice uh, and i said what i kind of said to you at the beginning which is like you know that the, the harsh reality is that if we're frightened of the, the cervical screening then what the potentials are in 10 years time if you do mm. get diagnosed with cervical cancer is that it's going you know you're going to be on a hospital bed and there's going to be a lot more things going on down there um and then I received this lengthy email which I have to say I didn't read all of it I skim read it because you can't send me a 5,000 word email and expect me to sit down and, and read every bit of it and the email was just about like, you know, in detail telling me her horrific experiences of rape and stuff. And again, I find that really inappropriate to just dump that on me. You don't know me. Mm -hmm. You don't know my experiences. Mm -hmm. You don't know if I'm in the space right now to hear about them. Long, big things and all this like information about trauma that she'd had um and I I just sort of responded by saying well you know I'm also a rape survivor mm -hmm. and my view is that if I end up with cervical cancer because I've been too frightened um to go or too traumatized to go for smears then in my personal opinion which I'm allowed to have mm -hmm. um I've let my attacker win mm -hmm. um if I die because of cervical cancer because he stopped me from having cervical screenings or they mm -hmm. have stopped me from having cervical screenings then he's one. And that's my view. I'm allowed to hold that view. Mm -hmm. You've just poured out your whole... Anyway. Uh, and she didn't like that. And then started some whole... Wrote a whole big blog and done all this Twitter kind of campaign saying that I'm insensitive but also that I'm forcing women to have cervical screenings and that actually... Going on and on actually about how cervical screenings are really bad they're not necessary that doctors get mm -hmm. commission from it um that actually they do more harm than good that mm -hmm. they cause cervical cancer rather than prevent it all of this kind of stuff and i was just literally blown away 
when I was then exposed to all of her gang and whatever on, you know, she's got a few of them uh, who've all got involved to kind of try to troll me on, on, on this matter. And no doubt after mm-hmm. this podcast, I'll probably generate it again. Um, I, I couldn't believe that there was anti-smear campaigners. It didn't make sense in my head. Mm-hmm. Now, I totally understand the choice. Mm-hmm. And I think that they, if you're going to campaign about anything, campaign to say women don't feel bad if you can't do it, you know, mm-hmm. like, or people with cervixes don't, you know, if, if you can't get it done for whatever reason, that's mm-hmm. okay. And that's fine. Um, yeah. But the anti-smear campaigns was just like, I, I, I couldn't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that you have been attacked by the same people um, or similar mindset of people. Yeah, I think, I think one of the things with cervical screening is that like we said before, it is difficult. It is hard. There are lots of really complicated feelings and experiences associated with it and that can affect how people feel about it, which completely legit. I think one of the things, one of the problems in the past about cervical screening is that it has been talked about as a, just get on with it, just do it. It's really easy. Mm. It's only two minutes. Why wouldn't you go? It's really quick. And that, and, and at Joe's, that was something that we used to say as well. But then we've learned that it's really not helpful to say it, talk about it like that. We need to recognise, say things like, it's not always easy. It can be difficult. You might feel this, you might feel that. And then provide the resources, the support, the information to help people feel they aren't alone. They have options. And that is really something that we're trying to kind of help others who provide screening, talk about screening to get on board with. One of the things with this as well has been fantastic is it has helped people who said I've like people who've experienced trauma, people with a physical disability, with a different problems who've said I always felt I was the only one or I didn't know I could do this or you recognise my experience. And that's so important. And I think we've got to be really careful that we don't make screening something that people are scared to talk about mm. because it is difficult and we've got to a place where people, well, like this podcast, people talk about their experiences openly, talk about having HPV, have how they feel. And that's so important because if we start to make screening something that people don't feel able to share their experiences and talk about and signpost to sources of information and things, then we're going to kind of go back several steps. So it's so important we have a safe space to be able to do that in. So it is quite challenging especially when you see people sharing their experiences of having quite difficult treatment as well and sharing, talking about how they're so glad they went for screening and it's helpful and that they don't feel that they necessarily can always share that because it is a really important test. And so I think it's a balance that needs to be struck between creating that safe space where people can have these open, honest conversations and sort of recognising that it's and kind of get, getting rid of that narrative of like, just get on with it. Mm. But it, yeah, it, it's, I'm, and I'm also really sorry to hear that you've heard, you've had that, especially like you said, you, you recognize some of her barriers and her challenges in the email that you got and mm. you've, you shared some of it. And I think in terms of things like um, uh, sexual violence and trauma, it's such a personal thing. Everybody Everyone has their own, exactly. Yeah. And so we've got information that we've developed specifically with survivors because again, some people say I like this. Some people say I don't. I'm not comfortable with that. I don't want to do that. And again, it's about listening and understanding how we can provide that space for people to know that they are in control of the situation mm. and as much as they can be. Yeah. Again. 
Yeah. It is so complicated, isn't it? And it is so shit that talking about something like this mm. could even possibly come with trolling and, and yeah. personal attacks and, and all of that kind of stuff. It is really shit. But I'm never going to stop saying, if you can do this, mm -hmm. do it. Because it could save your life. Yeah. Um, and it could save you a whole lot of much worse treatment in, in the future. But that's if you can do it. And you shouldn't um, <clears throat> compromise your own mental health or your own, you know, your own sanity exactly. uh, in order to do, to do it. But if you can... And, and, and that's there, like there the, are ways. the um, organization you mentioned, My Body Back, that's one of the ones that I loosely touched on before, who provide an incredible service supporting women through screening if, if they've experienced trauma. And I think that's such a valuable service. And there should be so many more like that yeah. available because I know they have huge waiting lists and everything like that because it is that individualized support and care for people who want to access screening as well and are saying, I really want to do this. I just don't know how to. Yeah. And they're there to help help with that so yeah. yeah yeah um i mean that was one of the questions we haven't even got onto the questions <laughs> yet which was how do you empower and support women who, people with cervixes who've experienced sexual trauma to have a screening mm. it, it, it's, it's really tricky because again it is all about knowing what you can i think this goes across cervical screening as a whole i think we've done research before and a lot of women and people with the cervix feel that they just go be quiet get on with it if it's painful just that's how it has that's how it is but actually there are so many things you can do to make it easier and not saying these will work for everyone but if you feel able to talk to your nurse or your sample taker about how you feel any existing health conditions or previous experiences then they can have that conversation with you to help you through so help uh, breathing exercises you can take music or a podcast with you. You can wear a skirt or take something with you to feel a bit more, feel less exposed. They give you a bit of a paper sheet, which yeah, they ask you to take off floor, everything from the waist down, absolutely. don't you? But you, yeah. if you're wearing a skirt, you could just take off your knickers and exactly. then you feel a bit more. Just feel a bit, a bit more less in control and less yeah. exposed. So there's things like that you can uh, you can try different positions sometimes. And again, it's worth talking to your nurse who can help you with that. Things like putting your fists under your under your bum as well can help, especially like you said when they can't find your cervix. That can be something that can be done because mm. your cervix also can move around a bit because I've had a really difficult smear test and I've had completely fine ones before mm -hmm. um and it can depend on what is going on with your cervix because it it doesn't it's not where you the are same in position. the month in exactly the, in all those cycle. things yeah so if you are if you do want to attend screening and you have experienced sexual violence then if you can speak if there is someone you can speak to that you feel you can share your experience with so your receptionist or your nurse that is a really valuable first step or give us a call and we can help you talk through your options because things like, I think it's about being prepared as well. So, and knowing that you can ask for adjustments, uh, if there are any words or positions that you're, you're not comfortable with as well, either writing them down and taking them with you or having that conversation. But that is not to say that it is easy in any way. So mm. look, try and prepare yourself beforehand by looking at the information the support that is there and like i said we have specific information written with people sharing their personal experiences as well about what helped what didn't help as well so that could be a really useful place to start and people can get your phone number and yep. all of that information on your website yeah absolutely which is joestrust.org.uk okay so that's really important i think if people haven't had one before or mm -hmm. have experienced sexual trauma since their last one yeah um 
do everything that you can to kind of make sure that you feel really in control, that you know what yeah. to expect, that you know that you have rights to be able to say, actually stop. And that is such an important one. If it hurts as well, cervical screening doesn't normally hurt. It can be painful. Uh, not sorry, that was what I meant to say. It can be uncomfortable. It shouldn't be painful. Some people will find it painful, especially if you have a pre-existing health condition or you're extremely nervous and you're clenching. Things like that can make it painful. If it's painful, say so, because... Mm. You can ask for a different speculum size as yeah. well. They're, they're probably going to use a standard size, exactly. but if that feels uncomfortable, you can ask them to try a smaller one. And that's something that people don't actually know that they come in different sizes, because just like every body shape is different, your vaginas are different shapes as well. And so some people, um, there's, there are much smaller ones as well. So if it is difficult, if it is painful, then that might be something that the nurse uh, the nurse uses. And again, if you have experienced trauma asking to see what the speculum is, holding it, seeing what the um, what is actually going inside you, again, can be a really important first step to really understanding how that test works. And also you can actually ask for an appointment just to talk through the test. And this is the same of anyone, if you've got, I don't know, a, mental, a severe mental health issue or for, for trans men who we know can find screening really difficult, just asking for an appointment to talk through screening with your sample taker where they can talk about what's going to happen can really help you prepare for it as well. Are people trained um, properly in GP surgeries to use the right language? You, you know, because as you say, with, with trans men, mm-hmm. um, you know, often there's it's going to be very difficult if somebody's mm-hmm. talking about you know your vagina and all of this exactly. kind of stuff which they're quite you know disassociated with or however they feel about about it um and if you've got some kind of old school person in there mm-hmm. who's keeps referring to you as she or just because you have a vagina yeah that's going to be incredibly difficult is there been specific training for healthcare providers around so we've got specific information that we've launched again working with trans men and or non-binary people with the cervix as well both for the patient themselves to understand how how to make screening a bit more acceptable and um what it what it is like to go through screening as a um trans or non-binary person but also for health professionals because like you say and like I said before that it's that's such an important way of making screening acceptable for you we've worked with some um trans men who shared their stories of screening and the really positive stories are where they said that they had a conversation with their health professional about what words should I use what shouldn't I use what are you comfortable with um what are your pronouns all of those things just even just set the scene to make mm. that person feel comfortable and that's not to say that every health professional will get it right at all mm. um, and that's what is really difficult as well because again if you have that bad experience it might put you off but equally making sure as much as you can being aware of what you can and can't ask for your your rights to a degree I guess um is really useful but then for trans men if you're registered as male as you're at your GP even going for screening getting an invitation for screening might mm. not happen because they only if you're read it's yeah invitations only issued if you're registered oh, as a female so it's up to you to request it or mm. for your nurse to know that you do have a cervix and to invite you personally and then being in that waiting room as well, if you, again, if they call out a a female mm. name, for example, or a assumed female name, if they look at the female and the person who is a visibly uh, looks like they're identifying as a, a female in the room, 
as opposed to you. There's just so many different challenges and barriers. And again, it can be really, really difficult. But, and again, that's part of this, creating this inclusive environment so that you can see screening invitations or see screening literature and it's not all pink and women Mm. hugging on the front. I say that we are a pink charity. I do know that. (laughs) But (laughs) trying to include people in the conversation. So at Joe's, we talk about women and people with a cervix where we can we know the majority of people going for screening identify as a woman but then we also know that there's a a significant part of the population who don't and whether Mm. they are trans male whether they identify as non-binary if you have a cervix we want to make sure that you feel you're included in this information otherwise you're just not going you're going to throw away that invitation or you're not going to want to have that conversation because you're not going to feel that it's something for you yeah yeah i think as well as you know these really incredibly important barriers um, around gender and trauma. Mm. I think one of the things that I often hear from women and people with cervixes um, is that they worry about going for smears and cervical screenings because of how they look down there, Mm -hmm. how how their vulva looks and how they smell or whether they've had a wax Mm -hmm. or whether they've got spots on their bum or all, you know, and I think it's really important to emphasise that no one gives a shit. Like, exactly. There is not a nurse or a person who, who who's going to undertake cervical screenings in the land mm-hmm. who's going to go, oh, that's a strange-looking vagina, exactly. yeah, vulva. Not one. They don't care. They're just really happy that you're there. Mm-hmm. They just want to get this the 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 thing and go. Yeah. Um, they're Absolutely. not going to judge you. No, their job is to get the best possible sample that they can. So they want as good a, um, they just want to make sure everything else is in place and to this be able is their to get job. that sample. It's their job. They see them Nurses all day. Folders all day, every day. They do not care. Yeah. And they see people of all ages, of all experiences, of all everything. There is no judgment from a nurse in any way. No. And that is why, again, it is such a, but it is so difficult. I even, I, I used to work for Joe's and I still, it's not it's not nice having to get undressed in front of a complete stranger but mm. again it's trying to keep in mind that the fact that they have seen it all really have seen it all before and that there is no for example even if you're um we we tend to say don't go when you're on your period when you're actually um actually bleeding mm. but you can go at different times of the sort of the rest of the month you can generally go and the, the reason is because Sometimes the blood can obscure the the sample; right. and they can't collect a correct sample. But still, they will still have a have a go if they feel that it's yeah, it's right. So they really have so seen that, it all before. So in that kind of scenario, like say you've actually taken the afternoon off work, mm-hmm. booked it two months in advance or a month in advance or whatever, yeah. and then all of a sudden your screening day comes and your period comes and you yeah. think, oh my god, I can't do this. Yeah. You shouldn't actually think that. If that's your only opportunity to get out of work, to get it done, then actually just get it done on that day. If your period has actually started and you're actively Mm. like full full on bleeding during a period, it probably isn't going to work. But always give your nurse a call because equally, so many people have irregular periods and irregular bleeding. It can be very difficult to know when you're when you're going to be bleeding and also um especially if you have spotting and things like that again if if that is normal for you if it's a regular spotting then always go and um see your gp and just to check get it checked out but so that's why it's always best just to give them a call and say this is what's happened should i come in shouldn't i come in Mm. because a lot of people we've we hear from as well cancel their appointment because they think they will be 
And that's quite difficult right. because especially when, for some people as well, working up that courage and that um, being in the right place to make that call to book the appointment. And then if they cancel it, will they book it again? Because mm. you've again got to go through that whole process. So do try and give your nurse a call or give your GP a call and have a chat with them. Let them know. Mm. Um, in terms of HPV, mm-hmm. HPV, what, what, so, so HPV is a virus, yeah. but there's like loads of strains of it, isn't there? Yes. And some, um, uh, versions of HPV are like completely silent, basically. Yeah. You've got absolutely no way of knowing that mm-hmm. you're carrying the virus, yeah. symptomless, whereas some strains of it are responsible for genital warts. Yeah. So I think coronavirus is quite useful in this respect because, Whereas before it was quite, we weren't so on top of understanding viruses and strains and things like that. HPV is very similar. It's a virus. There are about 100 or 200 strains of HPV. The majority are completely harmless, literally do nothing at all. There are some high risk ones, which are linked to certain the development of certain cancers. And then there are some low risk ones as well. And the low risk ones can be linked to the development of genital warts. So things like the HPV vaccination, it prevents against two high-risk HPVs, which are linked to cervical cancer, and two low-risk ones, which are linked to genital warts. So the vaccination actually can re- really reduces the cases of genital warts. It's a really fantastic prevention for genital warts as well as the cancers. But um, they're quite different. It's, it's, HPV is very confusing. If you have a low-risk strain, the low-risk strains don't really do you any harm aside from the genital warts is obviously not nice, not pleasant, can be painful, but it's not causing active harm. And it's not, the the low risk strains are not linked to cancer. If you have the high risk ones though, that is when cervical screening becomes important because we can identify the HPV strains and we can look to see if they've developed cell changes. So when they do, so when people are getting their positive HPV diagnosis Mm -hmm. back, at that point, nobody knows what the strain is and that's why they monitor it or do they know what the strain is? Because you just get told you've got HPV. You don't get Mm. told what what version it is. So is there a potential that actually it could be a low-risk one that's really not even associated with cervical cancer, but they've still picked up and given you the HPV diagnosis? No, so when it's tested, the machines, the labs that test it are looking for certain types of HPV. Right. So if you've got... This is why HPV as well is a really difficult one because there are no symptoms associated with HPV. You only know you've got it if you are tested in screening or if you develop one of the conditions that it can cause, so cell changes or genital wars. Otherwise, you will often not know you have it. So lots of people won't will just not will have it but not be aware they have it because either they won't um they won't be due screening it won't get picked up it can also lie dormant in your body which is another thing so you and this kind of means that it's a not detectable level and it's also not active the infection's not doing anything but it is just in your body and it, sometimes it can become active so you can have it but not so anyone who has HPV will not have symptoms. You can't treat HPV. You can only detect these certain strains through screening and you can't prevent get it fully prevent getting it. Mm-hmm. So it's a really tricky one when you talk about it and if 
we talk about talking to partners and things like that about yeah. HPV. It's quite a, um, it's a bit of a complex It's one. very complex. Um, are there any other long-lasting side effects of HPV other than cancer? Can it cause anything else? No, it can just cause, it can cause... So there are different, again, with HPV, there's genital HPV, which is the ones we're talking about. And there are other HPVs which can cause different warts and things. Mm -hmm. So like you get on your um, on your hands, that is actually a HPV infection. Again, it's low risk and there is no link that we know of to any of the cancers. So if you have if you have warts, that does not mean that you're going to get a cancer in any way. It just means you have have or have had a HPV strain which has caused this. Right. So it no. Okay. In a sense. Are there any ways that you can get rid of HPV naturally? I've read about some, in fact, not not even read. I've got a, a friend uh, at the moment who's going through um, cervical cancer treatment. Shout out to Farida. <laughs> uh, and she said that there's an HPV diet that's been recommended to her. So HPV is, it's your immune system that fights off HPV. Um, and in some people's immune system just can't, and we don't know quite why some people's immune system find it more difficult than others to get rid of the infection. Not smoking is the main thing, right. because if you smoke, then your immune system is lowered and your ability to fight the infection off is lowered. But apart from that, that is kind of the only main thing that we would recommend or suggest around HPV. So I guess a diet which boosts your immune system is... Is that what they they mean when they say there's an HPV diet? That will be what is meant. Right. Um, there are also, as with everything, there are people who think they've got a cure, they've got this product and stuff. Um, I and if if your GP recommends that there are certain courses you can set certain um, lifestyle changes you can make, but the main one is not uh, not smoking or stopping right. smoking if you've got that infection. Right. Um, sorry, I'm just gonna look at the questions oh one of the questions was can you pay privately for the vaccine in later life so can those of us who've weren't in secondary school mm -hmm. when that all came out go for it now yeah you can in theory um so the vaccine is given when it is because that is when your body is the best time to give it for your uh, your body is most prepped to have that vaccine it's also given then because your chance of being exposed to hpv before that point is much much reduced because you are still young once you've been exposed to hpv the vaccination we don't know if the vaccination is as effective so yes you can pay for it but the evidence around how effective that is is not fully known right um and if yeah if you've had it or if you have that virus the um, infection at the same time then it might not be as effective it is also difficult as well because as with any healthcare, you can pay for everything. Mm -hmm. The option is not available to lots of people as well. So, but there is research looking into whether giving people the vaccination in later life um, is effective, and sort of whether it could be used for a treatment for cell changes or for infections and things like that. So, this is when the research is really exciting because hopefully over the years there'll be much more ways that we can improve sort of outcomes and improve the experiences of people mm. with HPV and cell changes. Yeah. Um. Let's talk about sex <laughs> because there's lots of, I think it's a really difficult one, isn't it? So first of all, do condoms protect you from HPV? They can reduce your risk, but HPV lives around the genital area. So in the skin around the genital area. So 
it can reduce it, but any kind of um, sex, whether it's penetrative, non-penetrative, touching, um, use of sex toys, oral sex can, um, you can you can transmit HPV because of where it lives. So it helps, but it doesn't fully reduce your risk. Does it have to be genital to genital? So if I was absolutely fucking disgusting, I went to the <laughs> toilet now, didn't yeah. wash my hands mm-hmm. and then shook your hand and then you went to the toilet. Yeah. Is there a potential for me to transmit HPV to you? That is a question that I don't actually have the response for that. I Sorry, it's a weird question, to be honest. No, it's (laughs) it's an interesting question and I I completely get the logic behind it. I don't actually have a response for that. I'm not entirely sure. Um, Because it can be transmitted through... It can't be transmitted through a hug. But you it can't. can be transmitted through touching. So mm-hmm. if I would touch myself and then touch my partner's penis. Yes, because it can live it can live outside the genital. It can live sort of in the air. Yeah. Um for a really for a short time. I don't know the, the short window, but it is a very short amount of time. Mm. So the amount of so it can be transmitted that way. So right. I yeah. Could you give it to a baby during childbirth? There is a tiny bit of evidence that shows that it sometimes can be transmitted, but the child usually clears that infection. Yeah. So, because they've got super strong. Yeah, there is a little risk, but it is very minimal. And so, if you are worried you have had that abnormal result, then do speak to your health professional. But the research is very positive in terms of the impact on, on a child. Okay. So, anyone who's sexually active, whether they're having full on Mm -hmm. sex, I mean, so, I mean, I believe that oral sex is sex. Digital penetration Mm -hmm. is sex. Um, But anyone is at risk. So it is just condoms aren't necessarily going to help. As well, it's interesting when people talk about, I've never had sex. Mm. Should I go for screening? Because, yes, technically, if you've not had sex, but how do you define sex? Because So if you've had dry humping, passionate kissing, kind of... Yeah, if you've had any... When you, if you've played around, if mm. you've done anything with your fingers, with your um, anything like that, sex doesn't necessarily mean penetrative, penetrative sex. sex. And yeah. again, if you're um, in a same-sex relationship or having same-sex sex, same sex, sex, um, again, you can still pass it. So it's always a bit of an it's an interesting one when that someone was one says, of the, the the questions actually mm. was are lesbians less likely to get cervical cancer if me and my female partner both had no hpv at mm. last smear mm-hmm. does that mean we're now in the clear for hpv in the future if we stay together and don't sleep with anyone else so there's two things in that one is no just because you're in a same-sex relationship you were just as at risk as everyone else because it's such a horrible way of saying at risk isn't it it sounds Mm. like it's really scary but you're just as likely to be exposed because again it can be passed through all those different aspects of sexual contacts and activity that we talked about um and the other thing is just because it was clear at your last test you may still have the infection and it might be it could lie dormant exactly so the chance is reduced but this is as well, we get this with um, women who and people who've been in a, re- a relationship for years and years or have been sing- single for years and had no sexual contact. But again, they can be the people, we, it can lie dormant in your body for 10, 20 years. So, and then, and we don't really know why it then suddenly rears its head and right. can become active, but it can. So, because somebody also said, how can a cervical screening show up for HPV if you've been with the same person for over Mm. eight years? Does it mean he's been cheating? 
And this is so, so sad. And this is something we hear a lot because that HPV diagnosis, when people get it, people automatically think sexual con- sexual virus, uh, sexual virus, sexually trans. trans- sexually transmitted infection. Sexually transmitted infection, which brings you into thinking about sex and promiscu- promiscuity and cheating. And we've had some awful stories about people who've had relationship breakdowns following the diagnosis. But again, this is why HV is so complicated, because if you understand about it lying in the body for a long time, then there's no reason why anyone was cheating, regardless of whether they actually were. But there's there's no evidence that at all. It's just it is really, really difficult. And that's mm. partly because people just don't understand about it. And also to a degree, the fact that it is women who get that are the ones who say, I've got this thing. Because men don't get tested for it. There just yeah. is no test for men that that can be done at the moment. So it, it's it's really difficult. And it is really difficult for that person who's got that diagnosis to then have to discuss it with their partner and say what it means and have make, having all those facts. And all, like, yeah. we've gone on so many tangents talking about HPV because it's so complex. So and complicated. Being that one person who's never heard about it before. But no, it does not mean anything to do with promiscuity or cheating. And anyone can get it anyone can have it right now um if you've had any kind of sexual contact and it can stay with you for a long time which is is, yeah it sounds really scary it's but if i've been married to my husband for 50 years (laughs) and all my screens have come back yeah negative Mm -hmm. and then now i get an hpv positive result Mm -hmm. does that mean my husband's probably cheated your risk will be much lower in that scenario if that is what has happened um that is a that's a tricky one because I wouldn't want to say anyone has been cheating. It's just a trick. It's probably not laid dormant for 50 years. 50 years is a very long time. Yeah. But then we also don't know everything about HPV, which right. again, it's why it's difficult. We don't know why some people are more susceptible to it, why some bodies can't clear it. We don't know how... We don't know things about how many... T- if it can be passed backs and forwards and backs and forwards. Like in theory, once you've had it, you'll you develop immunity to it and you won't be able to get it again. But there are some sort of inconclusive bits around it, such as how long it lies in dormant in the body for. So Right. It might be that it has laid there for a long time, but we also don't know. So what's the deal with disclosure then? Because mm. it's like, do you tell new people mm-hmm. that you've got HPV? So this again is really hard and uh, it's a really difficult decision to make because there is in theory, that person, if you're with someone new, they could they could currently have HPV themselves. They and not could know. Have, and not know. They could have given it to you. You could have given it to them. One of you could have got it from a previous relationship or partner or whatever. So it's really up to you, that conversation, as to if you tell them or if you don't, because they will never tell you they have HPV. Yeah. Because men just can't they they will never know so it's difficult because is it a difficult is it a different conversation than if you're sleeping with women because actually if you know that you've got hpv mm. you, you and you're sleeping with women then you know that you could directly be impacting on them having cell changes at their next smear and all of that sort of stuff so is it more of a yeah you really should tell women whereas you don't necessarily need to tell men because it's just like this invisible thing they carry around. Mm. I guess to a degree, I I can see the logic in that. There is, so HPV is linked to other cancers though. And this is why it is really difficult because it is so common 
the chance of you guess, so if 80% of us will have HPV, the number who actually go on to develop cervical cancer, because the fact we can um, detect cell changes, we can treat cell changes, and because of the immune response, just clearing it, only just over 3,000 women get cervical cancer every year. So the numbers are actually quite small compared Mm. to the infection. Again, HPV is linked to other cancers. So a man with HPV could develop a HPV-related cancer. The chance of that is low, but it is there. But also, So like- this is why it's hard because if you, this is the thing with HPV is if you have it, it's worrying. You, mm. you're, it, it's not unusual to feel worried or uncertain. However, the chance of you getting anything is low, but equally having that conversation with someone, if you feel that's something you want to do, have a conversation with a new partner or your current partner, then absolutely do. Just make sure you have the facts with you because like we've been talking about cheating you can end up in some really difficult territory that if you don't have the information, that can be difficult. So I think if you're not sure about how to have that conversation you want to, Mm. do things like call our helpline and we can sort of help you understand how to broach that conversation and talk about some of your worries or uncertainties around it. Because, yeah, I've had HPV before um, on on several, a couple of different smear tests. And you you do kind of, at first, not quite know what to do. And Mm. I I think I told a partner at the time um, and... But at the time, I kind of, I don't, I don't think I was particularly worried about it because I think I had some information about it, but kind of thought, I'll say, because it's a bit weird to not. But mm. eat, that's that's just my... And I guess not saying anything kind of just doesn't... I mean, kind of what they do with that information in a way. Mm. Like, they, they can't then prevent penile cancer or throat cancer or whatever, it, it, you know, it could maybe lead, but, you know... You kind of give them this information and it, it. I guess if somebody said to me, I've been diagnosed with HPV, I've been sleeping with you and I didn't know anything about it, I'd be like, what the, do I do with this information? I mean, yeah. as a woman, I'd be more likely to think, oh, well, I better go and get a, sc- a screening if I can. Mm-hmm. And that's another one. They don't let you have them early, do they? So no. even if I phoned my GP and said, my female partner has just had a screening, she's mm-hmm. got HPV, can I come in for my test early? Yeah, They'd still tell you to wait until the three years and that's partly because the infection is likely to clear right and if you have a smear test it was clear you have another one six months later a year later and it says you've got hpv they yeah it's if you go back in that when you're next invited as the ultimate optimate window to decide if actually something does need monitoring because if you still have that infection there after that three or five year period that's when it potentially needs to be right looked at more closely but I think the thing with HPV again is that the fact that it can't always it can't be prevented, it can't be treated. Yeah. So if you have it, you just have it. Like yeah. and that's can be difficult to get your head around, but you just do. And we can't offer you treatment, we can't get rid of it. You might have it for a long time. Some people, not many, but some people have persistent HPV infection, which is where the body just can't clear it. And we know that is a group who can really struggle because whatever you try or think or think to do your body just will not get rid of this thing and so you're living with this um this virus that just Mm. other people just clear really quickly and that is just one of those things that is quite challenging yeah 
But I guess it's much like herpes, isn't it? So like, you know, with with, with herpes and uh, so HSV mm-hmm. and HPV, both can be just silent viruses. Mm-hmm. Not everybody who has um, the herpes virus ever gets the symptoms. Mm-hmm. They never get the sores or anything like that. And there's all, all often people talk about, you know, feeling like it's important to tell partners that they have previously had a breakout of HSV and that then often partners can freak out and be like, oh, I don't want to sleep with you because Mm -hmm. I don't want to get herpes. But then they could sleep with the next person who has never had an outbreak, Mm -hmm. but who can still pass that invisible virus of herpes onto them and they can have an outbreak. So it's much the same with HPV. Like you could tell a partner and they could think, oh, I'm staying away Mm -hmm. from this. But actually, the next 10 people that you come across are probably carrying it too. So yeah. you can't, you know. I think the thing with HPV as well, the the positive thing to think about it is that as horrible as it can be or confusing or difficult to find out you've got it, once you, the reason you're being told you've got it is because we can monitor to see if it does anything. Yeah, It probably won't do anything to you. It'll probably just go away. And you'll be absolutely fine. And two years later, you won't think about it again or three years later, whatever. But that's not to say it's not hard, but the chances of anything happening to you are low. Right. Somebody said um, that they had warts two Mm -hmm. years ago and had them frozen off and the warts never came back. Mm -hmm. In that kind of circumstance, do they still need to disclose to future partners that they can transmit? Can, mm-hmm. can she still transmit HPV? She just doesn't know, does she? Because yeah. the waters might have gone and the virus might have gone. And Well, this is the again thing with HPV is that, so that the, the, the strain that causes warts is a low risk strain, not linked to cancers. So in theory, you've had that strain. If the warts have gone, the virus is probably gone as well. You can contract another type of HPV. But if you've not got a visible infection of warts, then there might not be a reason to yeah. talk about it unless you want to because you might feel more comfortable. Some people might feel like they're withholding stuff. So it's so up to you what you do in that scenario. But if you don't have an active infection, an active um, wart, so warts are a... Um, Sorry, my, my dog's <laughs> here in the studio and she's just... Uh, woken up. Yeah, she's just woken up and like scratching her face. Sorry um, about that. But warts are a... Um, condition caused by the virus so if you have actively have a infection of warts then do go see your gp because like with that call um that person they can be treated yeah. and removed unlike the hpv infection if you've got warts you must tell partners it's really important because they can't they're very in- infectious and can transmit really easily well they're painful they put they don't they can't look nice it can be really difficult if yeah. you've got warts as well so do see your gp That's avoid not sex use condoms no go and get treated warts can be frozen off but if you've had warts a few years ago that doesn't mean that you need to tell every sexual partner in the future that you once had warts that mm-hmm. you treated five years ago then you're not placing them at any significant risk no because in theory the infection has gone yeah and it's like with everyone with hpv it's it's so up to you what you do who you tell it's just making sure that you're doing what you're comfortable with um sorry one something we didn't mention i've just realized one of the questions is how do you deal with the screening if you have vaginismus Mm -hmm. and we didn't actually mention vaginismus and that's where 
I mean, I think this, so vaginismus is where you're very tight, basically, yeah. because of often trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't always know if it is physiological or whether it's always psychological. But women with vaginismus find it very, very difficult to have sex, mm-hmm. to insert tampons, tampons, to even insert a finger inside mm-hmm. because they're so tightly clenched it's like an involuntary the muscle has just yeah Yeah. it's just like snapped shut and Mm -hmm. will not release it's like a clamp basically um and i think there's some debate i'm not sure well i'm not sure if there's any debate but i have seen and read things where people have been able to be treated with psychological treatments Mm -hmm. and that's taken away the vaginismus but i've also seen other people using physiological treatments um like dilators and things like that there's lots of different reasons that people can have it and it can be psychological um like you say as a result of trauma or just something that has developed or it can be physical there can be a physical cause to it so if you have it or you think you might have it then if you feel able to seeing your gp or health professional is the best first step because they can identify if there's something they can treat um or if it's psychological look at different options for maybe psychological support or trauma support or whatever it is that you might need it's it's quite a it's a complex condition um because of all these different causes mm. for it so if you have vaginismus going for screening again can be extremely difficult and that's mm. why if there is a physical reason for it you might actually be able to get treatment or something that can help or the, if it's psychological as well ways to sort of help you through what you mean like diazepam well. or something like that yeah, or it's like a muscle or a muscle react. What are them? Or there could be a condition that's causing it. Right. So it could be an actual health condition that's causing right. you to have this, which needs treating. Or it could be completely psychological. It could be a mix of the two. Mm. There's lots of reasons. So if you have it as well, and if you have a diagnosed condition, or, or even if you just that is just what you're you automatically do, your vagina just yeah. automatically tightens. Then again, it's trying to have that conversation with your nurse because some of the things like breathing exercises or different positions looking at the the equipment having a longer appointment all those different things could help not to say they will help and in some people with vaginismus may just not be able to have screening um Mm. but this is also why hpv self-sampling which is a whole new thing is something that we're really excited about because that is a simple swab which is being piloted at the moment which you do yourself sort of like a chlamydia test or an sti test mm-hmm. um and then that is sent off to be and it's just literally like a simple cotton bud and that is sent off to be tested for hpv um and then if you have no hpv you're fine you're sorted for the, for the next three three years if you do have hpv you'll be invited you will have to go to or you'll be invited sorry to a gp for actual cervical screening to just check right. but for a lot of people but how's that going to work when three separate doctors couldn't even find my cervix how am i going to find my own so that it's not actually tested it's not your cervix you take oh. a swab from inside the vagina right. so it's super super simple it's literally like if anyone's done a chlamydia test or yeah. a sexual health test you just pop a swab in your vagina take a little sample yeah and like a covid test but in your vagina essentially yeah Um, and you send it off to be tested so it's really really simple it gets rid of having to book the inconvenience the difficulties of having to book a test having to have a use a speculum all of that stuff obviously if something is found then there'll be further tests or treatments and things which will be offered which but again at least it will remove some of that for a lot of people who have a negative result right so, so so we so we got basically we've pretty much covered all the questions <laughs> without actually asking the questions. So I don't think we necessarily need to go through a lot of them because I think we've covered them. 
But I think we should talk about the kind of <clears throat> the, like the next bit. So you're diagnosed with HPV, mm-hmm. you go back in a year, and they're either going to say the HPV's gone or they're going to say things have developed mm-hmm. and we need to take this further. So the next stage is that the LLETZ, the LETS procedure. So before that is colposcopy. And colposcopy is what they do <coughs> if you have cell changes. So if, you're, if HPV is found and then cell changes um, of certain, because cell changes come in all different vari- different varieties. They come in different degrees of severity. You get borderline ones, which mean there's they've loosely they've slowly started to change, and then you get grades one to three. Three is the most severe stage when generally you will have treatment at some stage to get rid of them. If you have one, does that mean you've got cancer? Grade three doesn't mean no, cancer. It no, it just means it means the stage before cancer, so treatment right. will be offered to completely prevent the cancer. If you have it in the middle, if you have CN two, then you might be offered treatment. Sometimes you might be depending on your situation or the the type of cells that are there they might be monitored so if you're invited for colposcopy that's the stage before so they've said you have cell changes we need you to come to colposcopy at the hospital and this is where they you'll go to the gynecology department usually and they will take a closer look at your cervix um using a a camera essentially um and if you really want you can see it on the big screen it's quite like a smear test but just using different um uh, different tools because it's done with a camera so they can get much really up 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 close to the mm-hmm. cervix to see what is going on they might use different dyes and treatments to just see what what is happening there they might take a biopsy which is a small sample of cells which sounds horrible but it is a really really quick quick pinch um to take a little bi- uh, biopsy to go and uh, test that further to see actually where how deep the cells are going and things like that inside the cervix so that is the next step. When you're at colposcopy, they might offer you treatment then and there. They might offer you an appointment to for, for treatment in the future. They might say... So when you say treatment, just a treatment to get rid of those cells yes. that they found, the cell changes, abnormal cells. Yeah. So some people, if you're offered a biopsy, sometimes that biopsy might actually just remove everything itself mm-hmm. and that might be everything. If you're offered LETS, L-L-E-T-Z, um, that's probably the most common treatment. There are other treatments. Um, you can have it, um, you have cold, uh, you have a cone biopsy. Um, they can freeze the cells. You might be offered different, for different severities and depending on your circumstance, more surgical options might be offered as well. But generally LETS is the most common one and that is where they will literally burn burn off, laser off um, the affected cells as well. Right you'll usually be offered another appointment for that. They won't normally do that then and there at that colposcopy appointment. So you'll have lots of time to ask questions about what does this mean? What have you found? How will it, um, what are my options? What does, what is it like to go through LETS essentially? But it's a very quick, you have a local, you usually will have a local anesthetic and it'll be really quick in and out and not, um, it's not like a, it's not like a surgery where you go into the hospital Mm -hmm. for a, a, a day or overnight or anything like that. It's just a, quick said a quick procedure sorry um what was so she's asked will it affect my chances of having children in the future so let's is quite scary for people going through it however it's really really common so again hpv affects about 80 percent of us about two hundred twenty thousand women every year will be told they've got cell changes um not all of those will have treatment some will be monitored but a lot of them will have treatment and that treatment will usually be let. So it's not uncommon at all. Um, and usually most people who have it, it's 
they take the most people who have lets it will be a really small part of the cervix that is taken away just a little area a few people will have the amount of their cervix that will be removed can be a bit more significant in terms of the ability to carry a child to full term or if you have other treatments such as the cone biopsy which is again where they literally it's it's another type of taking away the affected area of the cervix essentially um, and literally cutting out the, the affected area if you have had lets you might worry about your ability to carry a child which is the one of the side effects that people talk about it's really really uncommon because the amount they take away is just not enough in the majority of cases if you have had that amount taken away which you've been told that there might be an impact or this this should be a conversation you have before that treatment as well and it's a really good com- a question to ask as well to either put your mind at rest or so you know but if you have had enough taken away that it could increase it could increase your risk of um a stillbirth uh, not stillbirth sorry of a miscarriage then there are things they can do you still have options so a cervical stitch is something which they can do in some cases and that mm-hmm. literally is a stitch which is put in place to literally hold the cervix together to keep the baby in um, and then it will be cut before the, the before you give birth so even if you have had a lot of your cervix taken away mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that no, my, my friend ha- had uh, cervical cancer mm. um, when she was much younger and has just given birth to a really healthy baby boy Aww. and carried to full term and everything yeah, was fine absolutely but I know that she was worried prior to that as to whether she would be able to ever I carry children I think as children. well this is with everything you look you see the horror stories the negative stories Mm. and the and that is just not the experiences of the most people who have it um on our website for a start we've got so many stories of people who've had children completed families after cervical cancer and different different treatments they can do so many different even if you have cervical cancer and you have or you have high stage of um cell changes there are a lot of fertility preserving treatments that can be offered as well Mm. but that it is a really difficult aspect of cervical cancer and cell changes is that there is that impact on, there can be an impact on fertility. And like a hysterectomy is one of the treatments that get offered. And especially if you're young and going through that, that's so, so difficult. So it is a really difficult conversation to have around fertility. And the impact on people is obviously, even we know that people who've completed their family and they still have be often hist- given a hysterectomy and things like that. For them, it's even just having that choice taken away is really, yeah. really, really hard. It's huge. It's really huge. So, so if you have been diagnosed with HPV and you have absolutely no symptoms going up to your next cervical mm-hmm. screening, that doesn't necessarily mean there won't have been cell changes or mm-hmm. because cervical cancer, I mean, there are symptoms of cervical yep. cancer, right? So like intermittent bleeding or irregular spotting and bleeding, yep. pain when having sex. Yep. Um, what are the other? Abnormal sim- discharge as well. Right. What and kind of discharge would that be? It's something that's not right for you. Right. And I think that's the same with well no I think that is the same with all of these symptoms um lower back pain can be a symptom Mm -hmm. and bleeding we always again say bleeding that's not right for you if you're post-menopause and you're bleeding absolutely go see a a GP and always do contact your GP if you're experiencing it but it's about knowing what is your normal maybe keep a check or Mm -hmm. keep a check of your bleeding or your um your discharge as well so you know you know what's normal and it's all about knowing your body and understanding what's not right but Yes, there are symptoms of cervical cancer usually. Right. And so you should not wait until your next screening, Mm -hmm. especially if you've had the HPV diagnosis and they've said, wait a year, come back. But in that year, you start to experience 
unusual back pain or unusual discharge you absolutely don't wait till the that yeah. year you go to your whenever GP you have you symptoms tell them, go to your GP yeah. however HPV is slow growing cervical cancer is slow growing so the chance of you developing cervical cancer in between screening appointments is actually very low as well and again right. this is why they are set where they are so we can pick up any changes at that right time as opposed to you might have developed cancer in that time developing cancer is not common in that time period because something would have been picked up even cell changes are slow growing of course some cases are rare they are aggressive most cases there is time to pick them up before they get to that stage okay i think we've covered absolutely everything you know i'm just (laughs) trying to go um somebody said if you haven't been sexually active for years or never before do you still need a cervical screen and you covered that when Mm -hmm. you sort of spoke about but if you literally have not been near another human since yep. your last screening or you've just never, like yep. you are, you have not kissed another person, yep. do you still need to go? If you have never, ever, ever had any sexual contact of any time, your risk, yes, is incredibly low. Right. Again, up to you. Talk to your nurse, talk to your health professional about how you feel about it or give us a call again um, and we can kind of talk through what <coughs> might be appropriate for you. But basically, the message is that hpv is incredibly common Mm -hmm. anyone who's been sexually active in any way whether that's included a penis in a vagina or anus or not has probably been exposed to it and is likely to be carrying it whether that turns into something or not is is you know yeah it's rare it's rare can happen it's rare and if i think as well a lot of stuff we talked about is quite, it can sound really scary because you're being told you've got a thing, whether it's HPV, it's cell changes, it's whatever it is. It's trying to understand, yeah, the fact that the commonality of it, like you say, it's really, really common. Having it doesn't mean that you're going to get cancer. It doesn't mean you're going to get cell changes. It will probably go away. Going for screening is really important. It means we can identify if you might need monitoring if you might need treatment and again whatever you have as well let's talk about it because there's a lot of stigma and misinformation and things involved in these things um and what we don't want to do is someone to get a hv diagnosis and feel really dirty get a cell changes diagnosis thinking they've got cancer it's all about let's talk about it make sure the facts are out there as well so people don't have don't think oh, my partner's been cheating on me, is yeah. the automatic response. It'd be so good, isn't it? Like, I wish everyone gets their, who gets an HPV diagnosis could just be like, yeah, I'll tell I'll tell my friends. Yeah. You know, and I, it's, it's funny because I even had to think before coming on here, like, whether I was going to say that I do have HPV. Mm. You know, I, I had to think for a minute, oh, is that going to, are people going to say anything? You know, and I thought, what? Like, yeah. of course I've got HPV. I've been sexually active for 20 years, mm. you know? It's like, of course. Um not of course but you know what i mean it's it's, it's not just, uncommon it's to, just a to thing. have it right now and i would never be like oh i've got a cold but maybe i shouldn't tell anyone mm. you know like go oh, tell everyone i've got a cold um so i think we should normalize just when if you get hpv at screen tell your friends yeah i've got hpv have you got any questions mm. listen yeah. to this podcast it'll explain <laughs> it all for you um but yeah we just basically shouldn't be so freaked out about it and and cervical screenings do save lives yeah. and, and they do help but we understand that there's barriers yeah. and that if you contact Joe's Trust, whatever that barrier is, whether that's because you're trans or you've got vaginismus yeah. or you've had sexual trauma, there are ways of helping you through. Mm-hmm. Um, <coughs> so contact Joe's helpline. Yeah. What's the number? It's 0808 
802-8000. And are you 24 hours? We're not 24 hours, but we've got a forum, which is actually a fantastic place, which is really, really active as a forum. Um, And there you can literally throw out any question and you'll get an amazing community of people pretty much any time, day or night, coming to give you answers and support. And who will have a similar experience to you, whatever it is, will just help you feel less alone. Yeah, and that's brilliant. Um, But, you know... You don't have to. If it's too much, Mm -hmm. if you can't do it, then don't ever live with any guilt or shame or worry that you haven't been able to Mm -hmm. do it because it just, it is what it is. Yeah. Try. And if you can't, you know, if you can't get there even mentally, when I say try, I don't mean get, go to the health provider. I mean, try in your head to to sit with it, but it's not going to be the end of the world if you don't. But the more women who get screened, the less uh chance that we have of um getting cervical cancer exactly and also if you get cervical cancer if it's picked up early it's very treatable as well it's very treatable um surgery of is like simple surgery can be an option as well so even if you have cervical cancer it's also not necessarily the end of the world because we can offer you treatment and that's why still going for screenings being all of of the early stuff so we can pick everything up at that earliest possible stage yeah rather than it getting because that's i mean jay goody is obviously the Mm. the really famous example of of why cervical screening is so so important yeah i think the last thing as well is that some case and some people do get cervical cancer and there is nothing they could have done to prevent it because they do have a case which couldn't it's be very ident- aggressive yeah and yeah. cervical screening isn't 100 percent effective it's really really fantastic it picks up it prevents so many cases about 75 percent it doesn't prevent every case so in mm. some cases people get cervical cancer even though they've done everything they could have possibly done and that's just one of those things and that we don't want anyone to feel like it's their fault or they've no. done something wrong as well so I think, again, that's that whole thing of reducing all of this stigma and misinformation around cervical cancer and prevention as well. And people just knowing where they can get the facts, where they can access other people who've going through the same and just access support because none of this is easy and we all need sort of people to help us through it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. What what you guys do is, is really amazing. Obviously, I will tag you all on the... Thank you. ...on the social media stuff. But what's your Instagram page? We're Joe's Cervical Cancer Trust. Joe's Cervical, at Joe's yep. Cervical Cancer Trust. That's thank it. you so much for doing thank this. You. It's been really helpful. I have learned so much from you. So hopefully this will make everything a bit more clear for anyone who listens. If you've got any questions, as go to the forum, yep. contact Joe. Just come to our website. There's everything them. you could ever need. It's all there. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.